Um, I, sometimes I ask questions, and you guys leave me hanging. So I'm going to ask this one. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be really, really honest. Okay? We're all sinners, right? Okay. For those that said, didn't say anything, let me help you. You are, too. But have you ever, have you ever gone in the refrigerator and um, late at night, you walk the refrigerator, kind of hungry. You don't know what you're hungry for, but you're hungry. And you open that refrigerator up, and you just find yourself staring into the refrigerator. You know you're hungry, but you don't know what it is that you want. Anybody? And you end up eating stuff that you would never normally eat, right? You pull, like, who eats dill pickles at 3 in the morning, right? Or, you, like, a couple of weeks ago, I was, it was close to midnight, and I was sitting on the couch, and I'm like, I'm, I'm hungry. I don't know why, but I'm hungry. And um, so I walk in, and I'm just staring at the refrigerator. Y'all ever do this? Like, you open it, you don't see anything, you shut it, and then you come back in five minutes, open it, thinking that there's going to be something else there that you didn't see the first time? Is it just me? Okay. And so I I just ended up with one of my kids' uh, juice boxes and a a string cheese at at midnight because, you know, that's that's how I keep in physical peak condition. But, But you go and you look, and you just stand there looking at the refrigerator knowing I'm hungry, but I don't know what it is that I want. And sometimes when you get the juice box and the string cheese and you're munching down and you go sit down, it doesn't really satisfy. So you go back to the refrigerator. And if you're really talented, you go to the refrigerator, you don't see anything, you shut it. You go to the pantry and do the same. And you just keep going back and forth between the pantry and the fridge until you finally find something. You know, Jesus talks about this a little bit of... of thirsting and having hunger and and being satisfied. And he tells us in this beatitude this morning in in Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, he says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, right? So we will oftentimes find ourselves standing in front of the refrigerator, not knowing what it is we want, but not fully being Satisfied. You guys ever been to Bucky's? All right, we need to put that on a field trip next Sunday. We all going to Florence. We're going to go to Bucky's. If you haven't been, if you don't know what Bucky's is, it is um, if heaven had a gas station. Okay, you can walk into Bucky's, get you some gas. You can get a brisket sandwich. You can get a brisket. You can get a full size smoker. You can buy it in there. I mean, they Bucky's has everything. And you walk in. I remember walking into Bucky's for the first time down in Florida, and I was overwhelmed because I, I was hungry, but I didn't know what I wanted. So I ended up with about forty dollars worth of food. I mean, who doesn't need a, a sausage link on a stick wrapped in a tortilla? It's the greatest driving snack ever. You would know by exit. I don't know ten exits later. I'm not feeling very good. The sausage on a stick was not doing it. The brisket was way too much. And you just feel like, I thought I was going to be satisfied, but I'm not satisfied. You ever had those moments where you think, this is going to bring satisfaction, but it doesn't. That's back to standing in front of the refrigerator. So when Jesus is, is, is having a conversation, he's talking about spiritual hunger here. And so when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. If you have a handout of your Bible, I want you to circle, circle that word that you're, you're, you're blessed. You're blessed. I want you to circle hunger and thirst and satisfied. 
Those are important words here. And definitely circle that word righteousness. That's a big word that typically is not in our everyday vocabulary. But our, our biggest words here are righteousness and satisfied. And these are the things Jesus is saying that you should hunger and thirst after righteousness. And if you do, then you will find yourself satisfied. That you're going to live a, a satisfied life. That you're going to live a life that has been a fulfilled life. You're going to live what Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, that he came to give you an abundant life. When we hunger and we thirst after righteousness. So, if you, if you got hunger and thirst, you got a hunger and thirst for the right things in order to live a fulfilled life. Because we all have hunger and thirst, right? We talked about last week, a lot of times that we hunger for power and control. And that doesn't lead to satisfaction. We think it does, but it doesn't. And so, Jesus here is saying that you've got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's, it's, it's very clear what you have to do. Now, Hunger and thirst have a purpose, don't they? I mean, our bodies are telling us something. When we're thirsty, you need to hydrate. You're hungry. You need to get some protein. You need to get some energy in, in your body. So hunger and thirst have purpose because they focus our attention on what our bodies need. You remember growing up that you would want to eat a snack before dinner, and mom would tell you what? You will... Anybody ever die because you had a snack before dinner? No. Why, why did mom tell us that? Because if we fill up on stuff from the pantry, fill up on a bunch of juice boxes and cheese strings before dinner, are you satisfied when you're eating dinner? It's like, eh, not really hungry. You miss the full course meal that's right in front of you. So mom knew what she was talking about because I always thought, Am I going to die? Because you also told me that I couldn't swim for an hour after I ate too. But I never drowned. I didn't understand that. I just think mom was tired of being lifeguard. But when we, when we understand that it's not that it will kill you, but when we snack on things that aren't healthy for us, what happens is it takes the satisfaction out of the meal that has been given to us. So Jesus uses this illustration for them is saying that you you must hunger and you must thirst for righteousness because if you do those things you will be satisfied now it's hungering after the right things understanding what we need and what jesus here is saying that our need is is for righteousness now he uses this word five times in this sermon all right really big word big theological word let me give let me break it down for you righteousness simply means this it's a relationship but it means that things are right between me and god that we would have a right relationship with God. There's nothing, there's nothing that's hindering the relationship, right? He, he's not going to be my friend, but he's talking behind my back. Or he's not going to be my friend, and then he's going to throw something up against me. Like, oh, you remember when you did this? It means that everything is good, okay? Now, I think we can all be happy that we stand in right relationship with God. That we're not going to have to worry about him dropping the hammer on us out of nowhere. We're not going to have to worry about him going back saying, Yeah, I know a lot of those promises that I wrote in the Bible are true, but I'm going to retract some of those because I don't like them. He says that there, there is a right relationship. Everything between God and ourself is right. That's good news. We only get righteousness because of the cross. The cross 
is what righteousness, where the righteousness comes from. Because that was the, the penalty that was paid to, to piece together this relationship for us and for God. Look at Romans chapter 1. Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the, what is this word? I'm not ashamed of what? We're going to come back to that. Because he says, here's the thing about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, for it is the power of God for salvation. We talked about salvation last week. But it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Okay? It doesn't give us a description of on these certain people or this certain ethnic group or this certain power of money people. It says that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, so listen to what he says, for in the gospel, the good news, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What is Paul saying? Paul says, listen, the gospel, the good news, is telling us why it's good. It is good news because you and I have been made right with God. That we have this relationship that we don't have to live under this worry and this fear that God's going to come after us. That we can, we can know that we are safe in his presence. That he cares for us. That he is doing everything that he can to mold us into the character of who he is. God is the one that makes us right with him. That is the gospel. Remember, when we go back to the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who realize that they can't, they can't save themselves. That they are spiritually bankrupt. That they are full of sin. And here, God is saying that blessed are those who, who, who are going for this righteousness, who are moving towards this relationship, understanding that there again, there's nothing that I can do to make things right between me and God, that God has done every bit of that. This is what God does for us. This is what righteousness, righteousness is. And this is what he's challenging us, is that we need to hunger after the right thing. And the right thing that satisfies is our relationship with the Father. Because everything else that happens off of that is just a byproduct. How we feel what we like, what we don't like, it all hinges off that relationship. So the question that we're going to ask today is, if I'm supposed to, to spiritually hunger for this righteousness, how do I maintain my spiritual hunger for God? Would you admit that there's been seasons of your life where you felt like, oh gosh, I, I just feel alive and full of the gospel and I, I want to, you know, you, you were ready to take on hell with a water gun. You, you, you remember those days? You don't. Okay. And so, and then there are days you're like, I don't, I don't even know if God loves me. This is the highs and the lows of our spiritual lives. So how do we maintain spiritual hunger to, to want to hunger after the right things of God for the rest of our lives? How do I maintain an appetite? Let me give you a couple of things this morning. Number one, you need to remind yourself how much God loves you. With all the voices that are around us, it's really easy to lose that, isn't it? It's really easy to pick up our identities from somewhere else or our validation from somebody else or somebody's words. And, and you have to do this every single day. You have to be able to get up and say, Lord, I need you to help me remember that you love me. Because we 
have spiritual amnesia where we will forget the goodness of God or what he did yesterday because we're facing something difficult today. You have to remind yourself. Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, I pray that you, being rooted, like, think about that, being rooted, like, you're not going anywhere. That you've been rooted and established in love. And, and we know from 1 John that what is love? Well, God is love. So I pray that you, being rooted and established in God, may have power. That word in the Greek is dunamis. It means an explosive change. In other words, you take a firework, an M80, teenagers know what I'm talking about, and you drop it into a toilet, lit, what happens to the toilet? It blows up. Because the word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite, and it means a state of change. So that toilet is never the same again, right? And neither is the trust factor between you and your parents when you do that. And he says this, that you're rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp, and we have this for this reason, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Uh, he's saying if you're rooted in in him, and you're rooted in God, and you're seeking out God, you will be reminded of how deep, how wide, how long his love is for you. And that's something that we so often forget. And I love Paul's confidence here in verse 19 when he says, and to know, to know that this love surpasses knowledge. In other words, I don't have to understand the circumstances to know that God's still real. I, don't, I may not know what's happening, I may not know why this, whatever you're facing is going on, but here's what I do know, that God loves me. I know that. And if there's a message that the world needs to hear right now, it's that God loves them. And guess what? They don't have to believe in him because it doesn't stop God from loving them. And, he's, and Paul's, with his confidence, says, I don't need to know what's happening around me. I know what's happening in me and through me because of my relationship with God because I have been filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Do you think Paul reminded himself that God loved him? Because I, I can imagine that there were days that Paul is sitting in the prisons having to remind himself, God loves me. This is not where I want to be, but God loves me. I can think of a thousand other places. I mean, I was doing good as a Pharisee, but here I am. I've lost everything, and I'm here for the sake of the gospel. Because I know without the shadow of a doubt that he's God. So you have to remind yourself that God loves you. You have to have that confidence. And can I tell you the word confidence in Latin is the word confide. Faith. Having faith. Believing. So you need to remind yourself that God loves you. If you want to pursue and keep hungry, you've got to stop eating junk food. Get off the spiritual junk food. You know what I mean? So stop filling up on spiritual junk food. We are spiritual beings that have this God-shaped hole, that there's this need within us, and we're always trying to figure out what fits in that God-shaped hole to bring us satisfaction. And, and we will look 
to things like jobs and, and salary and status and friendships and passions and possessions and positions. And we have all these different things that we're trying to, to really just force into our hearts because we think it's going to bring satisfaction. And all that is is spiritual junk food. Brings no satisfaction. Right? He is saying that if you, you want to be filled, you've got to be filled with God. God fills that, that part of you, that need that is longing for satisfaction. And I would say this too. You, you can't be full of Jesus and full of yourself at the same time. Because that ain't going to work. can't be full of yourself and full of Jesus at the same time. We, you have to abandon things that do not satisfy. This is why Paul says again, and, and y'all get, I'm talking a lot about Paul. Do you think Paul figured this thing out? He says this in Philippians. Now, he's writing this from a jail cell. He says, but whatever I had gained, whatever gain I had, I mean, he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of power. I mean, he was a very wise person trained by one of the, the brightest of all rabbis in Israel. Paul was trained by he knew the scriptures. And so he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted that thing as a loss for the sake of Christ. Like when I realized who Jesus really was, all those things I had, it didn't matter. And can I tell you, when you get to that place, all the possessions and the things that you have don't really matter. People that are super generous are just closer to Jesus because they know that their sustainer is right here in everything they have. And he says this, but whatever, I gain, whatever, whatever gain I had, I counted that thing as loss for the sake of Christ. Just write that off as a loss because it's fine. I don't even need tax credit for it. He said, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth. Listen to this. The surpassing worth of knowing. And here's what's really interesting in that language. When he says knowing, it's not a head knowledge. This is knowing that you learn by experience. You know what I'm saying? Like the first time that you tried to change an electrical outlet and you did not unplug or turn the power off and you realized it when the screwdriver slipped in there? Just me? Okay. Now I know to turn the power off. This is what Paul's saying is that I know because I've experienced. And so he says that I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered. Y'all don't want to talk about that part. We'll come back to that later. But for his sake, I have suffered. The loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. The Greek there would be dung. Y'all can translate it from there. In order that I may gain Christ. I lost all this. Consider all this loss. I'm okay with the loss because I gained Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Because Paul's realized that blessed are the poor in spirit. So not having a righteousness of my own comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. We're going to get to that verse. Because I read Philippians, there was a time in my life where I read a chapter of Philippians every day for six months, which means I kept repeating it. And that was the verse that Jesus kept hitting me with, that I may share in his sufferings. And I was like, eh, I'm good. You can keep those. 
And he says, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, hey, if, if you're not hungry for God, it's because you're full of yourself. And when you're full of yourself or you're full of something else, you're not going to have a hunger for God because you're chasing other things. The, the, the Proverbs, and this is not on the screen, but Proverbs 15 says, the heart of him who, who, who has understanding, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of the fools, they just feed on the folly. So if you understand and you seek this knowledge, and again, this knowledge is not about how much Bible you read. It's about how much of the Bible that you've read that you're put into action, that you are experiencing God not through a head knowledge, but through a living experience of being with the Father. And that's a world of difference, right? You've been around people who are very scholarly in the Scriptures, and they can tell you anything. But when it comes down to the application and the practical, well, how do I live that out? They, they don't know. They can't tell you. And Paul's like, listen, seek understanding and seek knowledge. Seek knowledge as one who is going to be knowledge by experience. But if you're just depending on what you know, that's just folly, man. That's just foolish. So I think that there may be, and this point's a lot longer than the other ones because this is the one that hit home with me a little bit more because this was my struggle but I had to ask myself, maybe there's some parts of my, my life I need to take out to the trash. There's some things of mine that are rubbish that I need to get rid of because I think that these things are more important than Jesus's. That I, that have made, and the, the other word for that would be making these things idols. We've got to stop feeding ourselves and filling up on spiritual junk. And I would even say that goes as far as even podcasts and blogs that we read from spiritual gods because some of that stuff is full of rubbish Greek translation dumb English translation whatever you want to insert there Isaiah 55 not on the screen but let me let me just read this because Isaiah really hits to this point he says the Lord says that all who are thirsty come to me now he didn't say all who are thirsty come to religion all who are thirsty Come to the rules, come to these regulations, come to these rituals. He says, all who are thirsty, come to who? Because he said religion's not going to make you happy. It's not going to satisfy you. This is why only the Holy Spirit can bring salvation to people. We can't do anything. We can put an emotional experience on here, and we can have the lights dim, and we can have music playing. We can light candles all in it. We can get you real emotional. And you can make an emotional decision, but did you really encounter salvation? No, it only comes through the Holy Spirit. And so he says, all who are thirsty, come to me. This is why we point people to Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I don't know. And I have found myself in multiple conversations over the last couple of months where I was like, I don't know. But I sure am glad I'm not Jesus. But one thing that I do know, he loves you and he cares for you. And I'll walk this out with you however I need to walk this out. Because my job, your job, is for all who are thirsty, point them to Jesus. We have a nation that is thirsty. They're in a parched land. He says, so all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. God says, come and drink. And to those of you who don't have any money to buy food, come and eat for free. 
Can I get an amen right there? Come on, Chick-fil-A. Let's get this verse in your free nuggets. They give it out on Sunday if you'll go by there. Why do you spend your money on something that isn't real food and doesn't really satisfy? He says, why are you wasting all of your life on this? He says, come to me and you'll eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the stuff that really satisfies. What is Isaiah saying? There is a table that has been prepared for us to dine with the Father. And if we're thirsty, come to him. He will satisfy our thirst. He will satisfy our hunger. And if we're being invited to the table, everybody, there must be a right relationship. You understand what I'm saying? He has invited us there. Because I feel like we're a nation full of stomachs and people who are spiritually starving to death because we're eating spiritual junk food. And it has no nutritional value. It gets us absolutely nowhere. Our stomachs may be full, but it is temporary, and it is like a string cheese and a juice box. It is only good for so long. And then you're looking for the next thing. So the question is, what are you hungry for? Because whatever your hunger is, is determining the direction of your life. So lay off the spiritual junk food, and then you need to make knowing God your number one goal. That needs to be the number one thing. That's how you maintain spiritual hunger. You make knowing God your number one goal in life. It's not success. It's not happiness. You seek God. You don't seek those other things. Because, again, those other things are just byproducts. If God is the root of all happiness, if God is the root of all love, if he's the root of all satisfaction, why are we so crazy to run to other things that aren't doing that for us? You know? This is why the Bible says a dog returns to his own vomit. Gross. Then they want to lick you in the face. I don't know. I don't think so. But he wasn't talking about just dogs. He's talking about us. Like, think about it. You're, think about your spouse. You love your spouse. But in a moment's notice, you can turn on them and say some of the harshest words to them. And then you have that awkward silence or however you operate in your family. And then you come together and you have to spit up those words of I am sorry I'll never do that again you feel really bad about it and then you turn around three weeks later you're in the car and the light turns green and you're not paying attention because you're trying to eat your bowl of cereal and your spouse gets mad and you yell at her again and then the whole process starts again because the dog just returns to his own vomit we just keep going back to the same thing the same thing the same thing and it doesn't work and so, when you, go, when you go read in the Psalms, Psalm 63 is probably one of my favorites. But it says, oh God, earnestly, I seek you. I seek you. I long for you. He says that my body longs for you. I travel through this parched and weary desert where there is no water, but my soul longs for you. Now, he's, this is in the Judean desert. It's hot, except in the winter. It's really, really cold, but there is no water, and the water source would come from the Dead Sea. And if you don't know anything about the Dead Sea, it's really salty, and you should not be drinking that water. And he says that, I, I seek you. My soul longs for you. That is the desire that God has. Is this is our pursuit. 
It doesn't mean moving to a monastery and getting rid of everything and being a weirdo. That's not what it means. What it means is God's first priority. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to him, and then everything else will just flow out of that into my job, into my relationships, into everything else. But so many times we put the wrong thing on the pedestal, and we can't figure out why we keep getting the same result. Right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 33, he says, the, the thing that you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God commands, what God wants you to do. And then there are all these things that you're going to need that are going to be given to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, seek me, seek the things that I, that I have. Make God the number one thing. Here, here's the last point. If you're going to know God and that's going to be your number one thing, you've got to get into his word. Because that's important. It's amazing if you start looking at the statistics of Christians that read this book. They don't. It's, it's, it's stunning at the lack of reading that we, in time that we spend in his word. And I'll tell you something even more frightening. Go look at the statistic of pastors that read their Bible every week. I, I, again, let me help you with that. I, I read it, okay? <laughs> I read it and I have a biblical worldview because I read it. You got to get into his word every single day. Now, I don't, I don't know if you, you don't have to have your Bible walking around reading it constantly. Uh, you, this, this has to get from here to right here. You following me? And you may say, God, my, my, I'm so busy. Well, that's cool. Um, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that on the cross. But if, if what you'll do is say, okay, listen, I got, I got a phone, and there's a beautiful thing called Version. It's a Bible app, and you can hit play, and it'll read the Bible to you. Whatever it takes, you don't have to go into a closet and turn all the lights out and have a little candle lit and, and, and write. You've got to get this from here to here and then back out. So whatever that takes, if it's just listening to it and if that's how you learn, I know a lot of people that love Audible. They, they love to listen to books. I hate it. Like, I don't like Kindles, reading on Kindles. I don't like reading on the iPad. I need the physical book in my hand. Anybody else? I can't highlight an iPad. That's expensive. Just highlight my book. you got to figure out a way to get it from here to here. Because if you don't, then what happens? Then you're not getting satisfied from the place of satisfaction, so you're hungering and thirsting, but you're getting bad nutrition from somewhere else. Blogs don't count. Podcasts don't count. Spending time with Jesus in the Bible is what counts. Okay? You, the, so maybe your action step today is youversion.com. It'll even give you a Bible reading plan. If you've never read the Bible before, just start in the book of John and read. Ask yourself some questions. Do not start in the book of Leviticus or Revelation. If not, we'll, we'll, you'll be in a Bible study for a long time trying to figure that out. Anybody figure Revelation out? Let me help you out. Jesus is coming back. When? I don't know. Hopefully soon, though. The Bible is the soul food. It is the milk. Jesus says man can't live on bread alone. The only thing that man can live on is by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what's satisfied. This is what we live on. It is not about just hungering. It is a hunger and a thirst for this relationship with God. First Peter says that you must crave the pure spiritual milk. The pure spiritual milk of the word. 
so that you can grow in the fullness of your salvation. Because listen, it's not that you're saved and everything's good and you know it all. Did you hear what Peter just said? Jesus' best friend. He said that you need to crave this, there needs to be a hunger, there needs to be a thirst for this, because you grow in the fullness of your salvation. We have not been sanctified yet. We are in the middle of sanctification. It's not over until it's over. And he says, and you cry out for this nourishment like a baby cries for milk. Do we, is that our longing? To get in the word. I promise you, you're like, well, I don't get it. If you'll just say this, I'm going to, Holy Spirit, show me something, anything. And there have been days and I'm like, I just need to read and I'll read it and then I'll find myself just lost in the word and can't stop thinking about it because there's something that the Spirit just pulled out constantly. Whatever it takes to get this from here to here and then back out is what we need to be doing. Second Timothy says this, and this is the real close right here, but he says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. So it's not just a bunch of words that, well, this is a ritual. We've got to read this. He says this is useful for teaching and for rebuking and for correcting. And notice he says this, is good for training in righteousness. This book is good to train us in the righteousness. So how do you learn righteousness? You got to get in here. Because this, this book tells us how to have a relationship with the Father and how that relationship with the Father should be relationship with other people. We got to feed on the truth every day. If not, we'll go right back to the junk food. And I'm preaching to you as much as I'm preaching to me. I, I believe in the words of Paul. He says, I haven't, I haven't gained all this and I haven't conquered all this, but I press on towards the prize. So here's my prayer for you this week is that when Jesus says that if you will hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's two promises here. That number one, you will be blessed. And remember, blessing is when God makes us happy. When it comes from God because he's a satisfier. So he says you'll be blessed when you hunger for righteousness. You hunger for this right relationship with him. Because only then will you be satisfied. What a powerful message from Jesus. Because he just moves on to the next beatitude. He didn't even give it 45 minutes. But thank God that we have that opportunity today to have a relationship with him. Would you pray with me, Father? I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that we can stand here, that we can worship you, that we can talk to you because you have made things right through the cross. Again, your word tells us that, that you didn't even know sin, but, but your son became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of you, that we could have relationship with you. And that changes everything. So I pray this morning that God, you would give us the boldness to step out and be obedient and being people of your word. That that would be the thing that satisfies us the most. Is being in your presence and hearing your voice. I pray right now in this moment that your spirit will begin to convict us on those things. God, that we would repent of the things that we're trying to find satisfaction with, but they're just not. And may we get rid of those things. And right now in this moment, may we just worship you for who you are. Strip everything we have and build our lives on the foundation of you. And we pray these things in the name of